Yama Prestarai. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. Hello looters, welcome to yet another special episode of the movie loot. This is our ninth special episode, the ones we release every other month, where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, and see why it works. So far we've done special episodes on scenes from films like Alien, The Godfather 2, Die Hard, When Harry Met Sally, and others, so check them out. It's the end of the year and I've been racking my brain on what film and what scene to pick, but it just hit me that the film I chose was released 20 years ago in December. And it's a scene I've had on my mind for one of these special episodes since I started. So I guess why not? And the scene I want to talk about is the prologue from Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. But first, some background. I saw this film in theaters back in 2001 with little to no knowledge about the books. I had been reading about all the expectations, good or bad, about it on entertainment magazines and whatnot, but I walked in more or less blind to the whole lore of it, and I loved it. The film has become one of my favorite films ever, and a huge part of that was this prologue. Because for someone who wasn't that familiar with this whole fictional world of Middle-earth, the prologue did an amazing job of leading you in, and that's why I want to talk about it. Now, even though this happens literally at the beginning of the film, that's why it's called a prologue, be warned, like all my special episodes, it will be an in-depth discussion, so if need be, things about the film or the trilogy might be spoiled. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, do yourself a favor and check it out. This is a must-see. As of now, it is streaming free on HBO Max, but it's also available for rent in various streaming platforms. So let's begin. Legend tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries, it has now been found. Is it secret? Is it safe? This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of a second darkness. He's seeking it. Seeking it all. His thought is bent on it. No one knows it's here, do they? Do they, Gandalf? weapon of the enemy is a gift. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The ring must be destroyed. It was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. I know what I must do, but I'm afraid to do it. One does not simply walk into Mordor. There is no other way. There's 
something down there. So let's set the stage. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring is an epic fantasy adventure film released in December 2001. It is based on J.R.R. Tolkien's 1954 novel of the same name and is the first installment of a trilogy directed by Peter Jackson. The film was written by Jackson himself along with his longtime partner Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens. One of the things I think it's important to understand about this film and the trilogy as a whole is to put yourself in that time, 2001, and know how things were and how much of a gamble it was. First of all, the source material is massive, epic in scope, and at that moment considered nearly impossible to adapt. Second, to hand this project to Peter Jackson, a brilliant and talented director but who at this moment could be considered as too fresh or untested, it's mind-blowing. I mean, this is a director whose career consisted mostly of low-budget splatter gore. The only exceptions were probably The Frighteners, which was his first American film, and Heavenly Creatures, which is a magnificent dramatic film. Now, I had seen those two and one of his early splatter films, Dead Alive, and I couldn't see this man directing an epic fantasy film. I truly couldn't. So imagine my surprise when I saw the end result. The third thing is the adaptation and production issues. Because although filming sequels or trilogies back-to-back has become fairly common, it was not the custom back in the late 90s. The studio at first didn't greenlight a trilogy, but rather two films. But Jackson pushed for a trilogy because he felt it would have been impossible to do justice to the source material in only two films. But also, due to the scope of the whole trilogy, this became the first or one of the first films to be a joint production between two studios, Miramax and New Line. Again, something that has become the norm, these collaborations between studios, but not the custom back then. So you have a massive project, a quote-unquote untested director, a joint collaboration between two big studios, and a big budget for a trilogy to be shot back to back to back. Nobody, I tell you, nobody expected this film or this trilogy to be the thing that it became. But back to our scene. The prologue, a decision was made to condense a lot of the backstory behind the Lord of the Rings in this prologue. However, writer Fran Walsh has said that it was so stuffed with information, so heavy and so dense, that we ended up finding it unnecessary, and they ended up abandoning it. They thought that anything that needed to be explained could be explained by Gandalf and Frodo on the way. However, studio was like, you gotta have a prologue. So they went back at it, and like I said before, it works perfectly. It's such an immersive sequence, and it works so great to get you inside that world. This prologue lasts about seven minutes, and I remember watching this in theaters and just being in awe as it finished. Any doubts I had about how or if Jackson would be able to pull this off were banished. I was all in. So to analyze that prologue, I'm going to talk about several things that the prologue successfully introduces to. Number one, it introduces not necessarily the characters, but the races that inhabit Middle-earth, as well as its inherent ranking, so to speak. 
It began with the forging of the Great Rings. Three were given to the Elves, immortal, wisest, and fairest of all beings. Seven to the Dwarf Lords, great miners and craftsmen of the Mountain Halls. And nine, nine rings were gifted to the race of men who, above all else, desire power. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. But they were all of them deceived, for another ring was made. As we see how the rings were handed out to each of them, elves, dwarves, and men, we see how things unfolded. We have a clear notion of what is happening between each of them. And as the film progresses, there are payoffs to this, as you see why men have fallen from grace, or why elves do not trust men anymore. And although they're not properly introduced at the moment, we get to see Galadriel and Elrond, both of which we'll meet later. But it's really nice to see them here first. Number two, it introduces the setting, or at the very least, one of the main settings of the film in Mordor and Mount Doom. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged in secret a master ring to control all others. One by one, three lands of Middle-earth fell to the power of the ring. But there were some who resisted. A last alliance of men and elves marched against the armies of Mordor, and on the slopes of Mount Doom, they fought for the freedom of Middle-earth. <laughs> We do get a glimpse of the Middle-earth map, which sort of gives us a quick look at the geography, but the focus is this barren wasteland and how dangerous and threatening it feels, how uninhabitable, which again has its payoff when we find out that our heroes will have to march straight into it. And we all know you just don't walk into Mordor. Not with 10,000 men you could do this. It is folly. Number three. It introduces the main threat and our main antagonist in Sauron and the One Ring. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged in secret a master ring to control all others. And into this ring he poured his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life. One ring to rule them all. We can see Sauron is a menacing and obviously intimidating creature, but we can also see what he is capable of with the One Ring. It is perfectly shot as you see him lift the ring victoriously above the fires of Mount Doom, but also as you see him approach the armies of men and elves with a camera from behind him, which helps heighten how powerful and dangerous he is. I love the shot of him swinging his mace as soldiers are just flung like ragdolls all around. Number four, something that I just touched on my first point, but it introduces the conflicts between the races as we see there is an alliance between elves and men, but not dwarves. Why? It's not explained, but it gives you an idea that something is not right between them, and we find about that later on the film. But also, we see why that alliance is broken. The ring passed to Isildur who had this one chance to destroy evil forever. But the hearts of men are easily corrupted. 
and the ring of power has a will of its own. It betrayed Isildur to his death. Isildur, son of the King of Men, managed to defeat Sauron, but refused to destroy the ring, which caused a rift between them and the elves, something that the trilogy will emphasize as we move on, the weakness of men and how or why they've fallen and why elves do not trust men anymore. Number five, it introduces the One Ring and what it represents. We get to see the power of the ring as Sauron wields it, but after we see what happens to Sauron and eventually Isildur, we meet Gollum. For two and a half thousand years, the ring passed out of all knowledge. Until, when chance came, it ensnared a new bearer. The ring came to the creature Gollum, who took it deep into the tunnels of the Misty Mountains. And there, it consumed him. The ring brought to Gollum unnatural long life. For 500 years, it poisoned his mind. We get an idea of the powers of this one ring, the temptation it carries and how it consumes you and corrupts you, which again puts us on the edge as we see the ring reappear at the Shire on the first act, and we see it passed down from person to person to the point that Gandalf doesn't even dare to touch it. Here, you get to see why and you understand the reasons, but you also understand the risk of someone else touching it. For example, when Boromir picks it up, and you understand the meaning of Aragorn rejecting Frodo's offer towards the end of the film. Number six, and finally, it introduces the Hobbits. It abandoned Gollum. But something happened then the ring did not intend. It was picked up by the most unlikely creature imaginable. What's this? A Hobbit. Bilbo Baggins of the Shire. It does so in a way that you can understand the nature of this race and why it hadn't been mentioned before. Why didn't they get rings? Why didn't they fight in the war? These are questions that are not openly asked nor answered, but you can still understand by the way the prologue is assembled that they're humble, simple folks that are either dismissed by most races and that are not essentially interested in the outside world. This obviously adds a lot of baggage to Frodo's decision to take the One Ring, from this secluded, humble village to this dangerous, hellish place we've seen by a seemingly inconsequential creature, a hobbit. But we get that final line from Galadriel that says, For the time will soon come when hobbits will shape the fortunes of all. And at the end of the trilogy, we get this great payoff to all of this, as we see not only that the race of men has been restored once again, and their alliance with elves re-established, but that they all bow to these quote-unquote unlikely creatures. One last thing I want to add is the choice of having Kate Blanchett as Galadriel narrate the prologue. And I think that was a genius decision. 
Blanchett is one of my favorite actresses, and she has this great way of delivering this prologue in a way that feels magical, mythical, and mysterious. Not only that, but being the great actress she is, she uses emotion, tones, and perfect voice inflection to heighten the story in the moments that it calls for that, or be whimsical when it's needed to. I seriously doubt that this prologue would work as well if it had been narrated by someone else. So, those are my thoughts on that excellent prologue from Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Once again, I think it is a perfect example of how to do a perfect prologue, a perfect introduction, and how to deliver exposition in a way that doesn't feel like just a mindless information dump. More directors and screenwriters of big epics should take note of it. As usual, I went on Twitter and asked my looters for their talks on the film, the prologue, or anything fellowship, and this is what I got. My friend Ken at Interken said, This prologue is the platonic ideal of how a movie should handle a fantasy world with an enormous backstory. Imagine trying to work all this information into the movie itself. It would be disastrous. Marcellus Darden said, It was such a brilliant way to introduce casuals to the politics and workings of Middle-earth. In the most efficient way, we learn about each race and the Dark Lord in a matter of minutes. It sets the table for the entire trilogy perfectly, and Kate Blanchett's narration is the icing. My friend Scotty, as Scotty Ruff, said, The sweeping shot over the battlefield in Mordor in the prologue. I was so used to fantasy films being cheap and tacky at first, and that shot blew me away. I knew I was in for something special then. My friend Ali Pitts at Alistair underscore Pitts said, I don't have any specific observations, but I will say that The Fellowship of the Ring is the only film I've paid to see four times at the cinema. And he added that he'd love to see the extended cut on the big screen at some point. Clarissa Aykroyd at Stone and the Star said, I love all the films so much and saw all of them multiple times in the cinema. They hold up so well after 20 years. And I agree, I saw all three films in the theater back then and I bought the DVDs as soon as they came out and I've seen them multiple times after that and I love them more every time. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of The Movie Loot. If you like this breakdown, make sure you check us out on most podcast platforms from Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and many others. Follow us and share the link so more people can join us in The Loot. Also, if you have thoughts to share, you can look me up on Twitter at TiffCGT or the podcast at TMML2021. Finally, stay tuned for our next regular episode, the final of the year, where I will talk about the films I saw in December. But I will also give a bit of a recap of everything I saw in 2021 that will come out in the next few days or the next week. And finally, stay tuned for the movie loot in 2022, because we have a lot of great things, some new and some old in store for our looters. So check it out. Now remember, one does not simply walk into 2022. It is a barren wasteland. Riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe, it's a poisonous fume. It is folly. But not if we hold true to each other. We will not abandon our listeners to torment and death. Not while we have strength left. So, let's hunt some films. 